What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 63. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. There's a bit of a storm happening outside right now, so hopefully, you know, no one disconnects or loses power. I've definitely never disconnected mid-show before, so I'm going to try to keep up my perfect record. Well, as long as I don't predict it, you know, I, I have a perfect track record of predicting you disconnecting and having you do so immediately after predicting that, so... Anyway... Yeah, so this week we're on to our Adventures in the Forgotten Realms format farewell. It's been, well, for me, it has felt like an eternity of this format, which is weird because lately we've been moving through formats super, super quickly. But we'll get into all of that. We've, we've got a lot to say and we'll, we'll talk about all those things in a little bit. Of course, that also means we have our Chaffee Awards to hand out for the set, so that's always fun. But before we get into that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not in the Discord, check it out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. Best place to go to connect with us, with the rest of our community, just stay involved with all things MTG, as well as, you know, discuss picks or play patterns that maybe you weren't sure about or brag about your trophy decks. You know, all these things are available to you in the Discord completely free. So definitely check that out if you're interested in staying part of the community. We had some pretty sick brags going on about uh, something, something about casting a Tiamat with a Volo in play. Awesome. Yeah, it was like Volo right into Tiamat. Yeah, good stuff. And our Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the show directly, the best place to do that is on the Patreon. We have a new patron this week, so thanks, Andy, for your support. We really can't thank you enough and the rest of our Yay. patrons as well. Thanks, Andy. Happy to have you on board there. And we do have some extra announcements this week about the Patreon. We mentioned, I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago, that we were working on some overhauls for the Patreon as part of some of the things we were looking to do coming into our second year of the show here. And we did announce last week the addition of our signed copies of the DCH, the Draft Chaff Hero, being available to all patrons. We also expanded the sticker availability to all patrons as well, so any tier is going to get those two perks. And now we have a, a little bit of a change in the way we're handling our fourth tier, which is our highest tier called Squadron Hawk. Basically what we're doing is we're removing the Founders tier. And I know there were a lot of folks who had reached out to us and said, man, I kind of upset that I missed the Founders tier because we limited it to three spots. Well, we're getting rid of it and we're adding a perk to the Squadron Hawk tier, which I think will give a similar sort of feeling that the Founders tier gave. And so basically the Squadron Hawk is our fourth tier. It's our highest tier. It's $10 a month, which comes out to $250 a week, basically. And what we're doing is we're adding a new perk to it called Draft Doctor. And essentially what patrons in this tier can do is submit draft logs to us directly via a specific channel in the Discord that only Squadron Hawk tier patrons will have access to. They can submit the draft logs there. We will take those draft logs, walk through the entire log with our notes, our comments, different picks that we would do, along with notes and comments from you, and the final deck build as well. And then we're going to record this and release our process of going through the draft and kind of highlighting what we think about that draft on YouTube. And then we'll, of course, get our, our thoughts back to you as soon as possible besides the video in, in that private Discord channel. So we'll definitely comment on, on those logs in the channel in text, but then we'll also use those to make Draft Doctor videos. And we'll do as many of those as we can. Depending on how popular this gets, we're just the two of us, so we may not be able to get to all of them immediately, but we will, we will get to as many as we can. But of course, we'll still respond to everything that's mentioned in that chat. And if you want those to be anonymous or have your name in them as far as the video goes, that's something that we can talk about that we don't want to make anybody feel pressured or anything like that. So 
we'll work with you guys in terms of that stuff. The other mm-hmm. tiers also still have all these great perks, such as ep- access to the uncut episodes with pre and post show banter, access to the show notes, of course, the stickers and the signed DCH cards for patrons of all levels. Right. So essentially for the price of, I don't know, a very, very cheap coffee a week, you can instead have two goons talk about your uh, <laughs> your drafts on the Internet uh, and then have it released as, as a video content. So I think that's a pretty good deal to pay. Right. I am also pretty excited for this. Sad to no longer be doing the coaching. Maybe we'll bring that back at some point. But the fact that this is asynchronous and uh, slightly less like work from the pre- preparation perspective on our end will, I think, make our content creation <laughs> lifestyles a little bit easier. That being said, I'm excited for this. I can't wait to see some of the things that people submit to us. A lot of the best parts of just kind of our coaching experience was walking through drafts. And we're Still doing that, just in a slightly different format that I think it's going to make us easier to grow into. So uh, if you're interested, you said around uh, 10 a month, it's going to be fun. Yeah, and the updates to that should be out at the release of this episode. So if you're hearing this, those those changes to the Patreon should already be made available. So you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft pod to see all of those details there. Thanks again to all our patrons for their support. It really has been an amazing year for us, and we are still baffled that we have as many patrons as we do. So thank you all very much for your support. And on to our Kraken Draft type thing. Ben, you've got one for us here. It looks like we're going back to AFR for our format farewell here. Walk us through this pack. Mm-hmm. I figured we should take one last look at AFR. This is just a classic pack one, pick one. And I'm going to start us off with the comments. We've got Secret Door, Potion of Healing, Mimic. All just top tier staples of the format. You can expect to see these as key role players in a. <laughs> uh, I, I I couldn't do it. Uh, I I I've, I've got. You almost stop. got these there. Cards, these cards suck. I think I've seen mimic used effectively once. I don't think I've ever seen it used effectively. Yeah. Okay. Potion of healing. It has its places in the life gain deck, and sometimes if you get good old teleportation circle secret door a bad card in the worst color it again did have role players if your opponent was trying to smack you with a bunch of one ones and two twos and just had no way of buffing them then this could actually stave off some damage however that was rarely the case as red had a lot of ability to get a little extra power from equipment and white had some buff effects and solid tricks uh these cards suck. Next is Hobgoblin Captain, which is an actually pretty good card. Definitely my pick so far. Half-Elf Monk, Fate's Reversal, Eyes of the Beholder, Dragon's Fire, Devoted Paladin, Compelled Duel are our commons. So uh, Dragon's Fire is just the best card by a mile here, yeah? Yeah, easy snap, Dragon's Fire, and then Hobgoblin Captain, not terribly far behind. And then probably Half-Elf Monk for me at this juncture. I'm not really happy about any of these other cards at all. I basically don't want to play any of these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about right for me. Eyes of the Beholder was pretty disappointing. I did find some of these cards a little more usefulness in best of three. So, for example, you could totally side in a secret door or an Eyes of the Holder or a Fates Reversal, depending on the matchup. Sure. But these cards just weren't things you wanted to put in your main deck for best of one, especially not as quick draft as best of one. So Eyes of the Beholder, I found really effective at killing dragons. <laughs> when you can actually trade your mana and a card for about the same amount of mana and about the same amount of card. But besides that, no thanks. Let's see if our uncommons can trump Dragon's Fire. We've got Trellisara Moondancer. That's the green-white uncommon legend. A fun card. I like a little life gain and counter synergy, and this card can get out of control. For sure. Next, we've got Tiger Tribe Hunter, which, spoiler alert, it's my pet card for the set. I love Tiger Tribe Hunter. It's basically a bunch of Dragon's Fires 
that you can just like get whenever you want on a four four of trampler, depending on how many creatures you're willing to fling, I suppose. Next is Purple Worm. That's the big old 8-7 that gets cheaper and has ward. And our rare is Long Rest, which is X green, 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 and it returns X cards. And if X was eight or more, your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. And it gets exiled. Huh. It's a pack. What do you think? Yeah, I think the uncommons kind of rounded us out here. Like, those commons looked pretty abysmal. Not that it mattered, because even if the commons looked better, you're still taking Dragonfire over almost any, com- pretty much every common. I think I take Dragonfire over every common in this format for pack one, pick one. I think so. I do like Trellisara. You you obviously need to build the deck around her. It's not really something that, that you can take and just be like, well, this is going to slot well into literally any deck. Mm-hmm. And it is a two-color card that you're start, you know starting the draft out with that. Tiger Tribe Hunter is great if you can find yourself in the red-black deck, but... I feel like outside of that deck, you kind of feel bad to play this unless you have a ton of token generators. And even then, if you have a lot of token generators, you're flinging your 1-1s. So it's like, you know, it's not not being maximized. Purple Worm's great if you're in green, so nothing more to say about that. But Long Rest is fun, and I haven't played that rare, so I probably would just take that. I mean, that's a ton of value in this in a format without very much recursion. My thoughts exactly. I took the Long Rest. I've never cast this card. And this was, you know, probably going to be one of my last drafts of the format. This is an actual pack I opened. I took Long Rest here. Then I ended up playing Red White Aggro. <laughs> so, nice. sorry Long Rest. Maybe next time. I think the Dragon's Fire is probably the correct pick here. If the Dragon's Fire was, you know, some blue card, Sign of Stiggy or something like that, I probably would have just slammed the Tiger Tribe Hunter. Also, if I was going for a correct pick, I don't know, Purple Room's solid too, but you know, you can usually pick up some Hill Giant Herd Gorgers and they kind of fulfill the same function, except Gorgeous George stabilizes your life total, which can be pretty good in this format. I've had that actually matter, that the life gain from Old George be the thing that swings the game and lets me oh, come yeah. back from getting beaten down by like a 2-2 flyer. Three life can buy you two turns against that in the, in the right context. Yeah, now if you were past this pack and there was a common missing, would you immediately assume it was a Dragon's Fire? Like, are the uncommons and rare strong enough that you would look at this and say, there aren't any other commons I would take over any of these cards? Hmm. Well, there's Grim Bounty, and then I could, I could see some people that are still diehard, sepulchre ghoul, price mm-hmm. of loyalty advocates, like, trying to force that early. So if they, if they see, like, a ghoul and they're just like, oh, I'm doing this, like, I don't want to give anyone else the ghoul. I could see taking a ghoul over these uncommons and, you know, trying to do that. I would probably think it would either have been a Dragon's Fire or a Grim Bounty, though. Yeah. Okay. All right, on to a Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns sort of section where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week, both magic and or non-magic related. So, Ben, kick us off. Right, so I'm at a new desk. I have a new setup. I'm up in my new apartment, which I've kind of, I moved like a month ago. I've only slept here like seven or eight times, though. I've just been all over the place, South Jersey, traveling around, doing a whole bunch of stuff. But I'm back here. I'm finally unpacking. And I chose a good time to do this because school starts next week. So I'm hoping to get things sort of the way and decorated before I have to start doing that stuff. I guess that's a bit of my tibble. School starts next week. And... It's not that I'm not ready. It's just that I don't want to be ready. I don't want to, uh, like, I know I I will enjoy it and it's going to be great. I'm going to have a lot of fun meeting my new students. But at the same time, it's like a lot of work. (laughs) So I'm enjoying my last week of summer while I can. I guess another aspect of Tibble, I've been doing a lot of karaoke over the last week. Some friends and I went to a, like, it's not really a karaoke bar. It's more like a karaoke 
booth where it's BYOB and you just can rent a room and they like disinfect it fully between every group that comes in. So it's it's pretty safe COVID wise. That was fun. And then uh, just a, another day this past week, I just did karaoke at my friend's house just because. So my, my voice is maybe a little more gravelly than usual. I don't think that's a bad thing, though. This is audio content. <laughs> it's probably fine. <laughs> and then I guess I should mention one last affair. Innistrad. It's coming up, dude. Like, Innistrad spoilers start next week. And actually, wait, no, this week? Tomorrow? I don't even know anymore. Yeah, they're, they're right around the corner for sure. I'm pretty excited for, well... We have a whole section on that. I'll save it for later. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, for me this week, uh, speaking of moving, my move has begun. We got the keys to the new apartment last weekend, so we've started to kind of slowly trickle things in. We do have like 20 days or so to move because there's like some overlap between when we got the keys to the new place and when we have to leave the old place, which is great. We have a lot of, you know, a lot of time, so that alleviates some headache. But I also have this weird situation where we're like reordering most of our furniture because... You know, we wanted a bigger bed. My couch is disgusting and we've had it for way too long. So we wanted to get a new couch and all these different things like that. So that's great because it means we don't need movers. But what it does mean is we have to order stuff with like massive boxes and very heavy. And we we're moving uh, to an apartment yeah. that doesn't have like a concierge desk or anything like that. They don't really have anywhere to leave big packages. And in fact, we're not mm-hmm. really supposed to order packages that are too big. Like we're supposed to leave them with UPS or FedEx or something and then pick them up ourselves from wherever that is. That's a hassle. Well, especially when you're moving furniture, right? I'm ordering stuff because I don't have a car that can fit all this stuff. So I don't want to have it shipped to like a UPS station nearby and then have to go find somebody's truck to pick it. Like, you know, so I'm just having it delivered there, but we're not living there yet, at least until the bed arrives. And that means like when the day of delivery, I've got to rush over there in the morning and make sure I'm there all day until it shows up. And so that that seems like more of a hassle than I'm really all that excited for. But we'll see how it goes. But it's going to be fun. I'm excited to move in and I've got an office in the new apartment. Like I have a dedicated room to be my office. So audio quality should improve. My happiness should improve because <laughs> at the moment my quote unquote office is in our bedroom, which isn't great for mental health reasons. As you can see from behind me, I'm just in my living room. Then again, I also live by myself, so <laughs> I don't really have as much uh, like noise competition or anything like that. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that, that's it for my Teferi. My Tybalt this week is that I'm a bit behind on a, my current project at work, which is both... Uh, it's not really my fault. Unfortunately, there are some restrictions with the client I'm working with that have made it so... There's, there's a lot of red tape involved with some of the systems I'm working on over there, so it's slowed some things down, which kind of sucks because just being the completionist I am, I, I don't like getting to the end of a project and not being able to fully deliver, even if it's not exactly my fault. So I gotta, I'm going to try to work in some ways over the next couple of weeks. I have basically, I'm on this project until the end of September. So I'm going to try to work in some ways here and there that I can make up some time. But um, yeah, doesn't, doesn't really feel too great. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but sometimes do everything you can and other people just don't do it. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. But I think that does it for Teferi Tibbles. Let's move on to the listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Hululu. This is actually an old question that we completely missed uh, a few weeks (laughs) ago. So sorry about that, Hululu. But the question is, have you ever tried converting your non-magic playing friends to play magic? And if so, what was your experience? So I did convert Ben to playing magic, but he wasn't opposed to magic. So... I mean, we have talked about this before on the show, right? We've talked about, like, introducing new people to magic and how we've approached that. 
so when I read this, I kind of took it from a stance of people who actively don't want to play Magic and how you got them to do so. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's tricky. I've definitely converted a few friends, and it certainly is easier when they have prior interest or experience in, say, any sort of competitive gaming or trading card game. In fact, it's it's kind of funny. I've actually converted at least one person that was already into trading card games but didn't play Magic, so that was that was a cakewalk. That was our, our friend Alec, actually, who oh, okay. <laughs> who knows if, he, if he's listening, but uh, what's up, Alec? So as for other people, I find it best to say something along the lines of like, well, it has a lot of the random elements of like card games that you might be familiar with, similar to poker, but it also has a lot of the strategy elements similar to chess. But it also has a lot of the fantasy and roleplay elements that you would get in D&D. And it's kind of the best of all of these worlds. And if they're interested in like two of those camps, they're usually like, oh, that sounds pretty sweet. Like, what's it look like? And I will say I had this exact scenario happen yesterday while I was out with some friends. And I just pulled up Arena on my phone and I showed them like a dinosaurs deck that I had for historic. And they're like, whoa, it's so there's like lands and they tap for stuff. And I was like, all right, yeah, they got it. So I think honestly, just having Arena mobile it's a pretty cool way to introduce people to the game because it shows that, yeah, sometimes when you think of Magic the Gathering, you think of like the giant tournament hall with everyone's butts hanging out. You've probably seen the <laughs> those memes, but it, it's a, a little more accessible if you just kind of hold up a little app on your phone and be like, check it out. I just, you know, made the equivalent of 20 bucks from <laughs> being good at this little online card game. And then people can be like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then that's when you start inviting them to draft. And that's when you get them hooked. And then you send them our podcast. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the cycle continues. Yeah, it's actually a great way to look at it. I didn't really think about how the mobile app changes the new player experience from a sort of ingrained player trying to introduce somebody new to the game. And it's kind of cool, too, because there's no monetary investment from a new player's perspective when you show them the app. If you just say, hey, you can download this game, you'll get some new player decks, you can learn how to play. It used to be such that you would have to say, well, let me teach you how to draft so you don't have to spend a ton of money to build a new deck, but you can you can still play the game. Or here is a bunch of random cards that I have lying around, but it's not super coherent or something like that. This this gives them like a pretty adequate experience right out of the gate and they don't have to pay anything, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Another good thing to remember is that local game stores have access to these little free welcome decks. Uh, and they're very bad, but they're pretty easy to upgrade. You can do something with them, at least. You can play a game. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they're designed for newer players, so it's a great starting point. They're not very complex, minimal mechanics to kind of get people involved with. So it's a good starting experience for sure. For me, as far as converting non-Magic playing friends to play Magic, I, you know, I mentioned converting Ben to play Magic many, many years ago. And I think Draft was the first thing I got you into outside of just explaining what the game is. We played some Theros Draft, which was awesome. Mm -hmm, it was. I remember my deck very well. It was awful. <laughs> As it should be. If you drafted an amazing deck in your first first attempt at a game like this, uh, I would have been extremely impressed. I don't uh, know if, you, I, if I've mentioned this before on the show, but it, I, I pack one, picked one Spear of Heliod. One white, white creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and you can pay one white, white, tap it to destroy a creature that dealt damage to you this turn or something like that. And no one actually told me that you're supposed to play more than one color. So I just took every single white card I saw and then, like that was it. The funny thing is, though, that that sort of worked for you because original Theros was a set that could support monocolored decks because mm. they had the whole devotion thing going on. So mine yeah. just didn't happen to work. <laughs> but yeah, well, um, outside of Ben, 
I say I tried to get my wife to play a little bit, but you know, it, it was kind of interesting that you mentioned those three sort of camps that people could fit into, whether it's they like the strategy from something like chess or they like the role playing aspect from something like D&D. Her and I like to play card games together, so she likes that bit, but I don't think she cares about the other two buckets. And so her interest in magic was pretty low and I think still is. And then I sat her down to watch the professor's intro, like how to play magic video, and she kind of zoned out after the first two minutes. So we're still working on it. (laughs) I definitely think a good thing with teaching anyone anything is making it about them. So if you are trying to introduce someone in particular, show them why it should be important to them. Show them why they should care. It's a lot easier to teach someone something when you have done the work in making it important to them rather than requiring them to do the work in making it important to them. If that makes sense. Sure. When you can convince someone it's it's in their best interest, like it's already about them, then you, half the work is done. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, great question, Hululu. Thanks for asking. And yeah, I'll have to take that into account when I'm trying to teach new people to play magic. All right, let's get into the main topic for this week. Goodbye, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. It's our AFR format farewell show. We've got to give out the Chaffee Awards. Now, we give out these Chaffee Awards to the, the Chaffiest of Draft Chaff cards in, in the set for those that are new. So we're going to go down several categories and award one or multiple cards per category with the official token of, uh, of I don't know, appreciation, admiration, um, I don't know, hatred, <laughs> depending on the card. So uh, why don't we start it off with the most powerful card in AFR? What have you got, Zach? Yeah, so immediately for me, the first thought was Westgate Regent. That is the card that comes down consistently. It's monocolored. And so it comes down and then I'm just like, well, I need a removal spell this turn or I lose. Like, hmm that's just always the play pattern with that card. I don't think anybody has allowed a Westgate region to stick on the board unless the opponent was well, well, well behind already. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody's allowed a Westgate region to stick around for more than a turn before losing. So yeah, Westgate region. And then I also thought Ranger class because that card's pretty powerful and Xanathar came to mind as well. But Xanathar, I think, is a step, just a step, not a far step, but just a little step below region and Ranger class because of when they come down, their monocoloredness and the fact that they aren't blue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. that's true. I mean, to be fair, I've never actually put Xanathar in a blue-black deck. Yeah, you usually <laughs> splash it in a red-black deck. Yeah, it's always in red-black. So uh, up there, I, I put Xanathar. I also mentioned Ranger class, Westgate region. I agree it's different kinds of powerful, right? So... Westgate Regent is that you just need to answer it right now on turn five or else the game is over. And if you happen to have like, I don't know, a dragon's fire and you don't have a dragon to buff its uh, damage, you're kind of screwed. That's just going to be the game. Xanathar is also up there, though. That card has a a different way of taking over the game. But Xanathar, it's kind of like losing to a planeswalker Mm -hmm. in, in like standard. Let's say you're playing like standard, uh, con- you're playing against a control deck. It's like losing against a, a control deck's planeswalker versus losing against a burn deck's burn spells. Like one of those you see very evidently, it's very clear. My life total is now zero. That's the Westgate region. But <laughs> a while back, there was some discourse about when to concede against opponent to fairies here of Dominaria, because at a certain point, the game was over. Like, you were just never going to beat a Teferi that has upticked, like, three times. It just, the card draw, the mana advantage, it was all just too powerful. A similar thing happens with Xanathar. If your opponent plays Xanathar, they get its trigger, you don't have the removal spell in hand, you are never getting that removal spell. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it is it is very much like Westgate region in that it's like you have one turn cycle to draw the removal spell because after that, Xanathar is getting the trigger on their upkeep and not letting you draw removal for the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. 
So it's like, how do you how do you beat that? You just you just don't. <laughs> so that's the best part about Xanathar. Oftentimes, the play pattern with Xanathar that I've enjoyed most is oh, they're, they're top decking like a brazen dwarf or something. Sure, <laughs> like, right, yeah, you like just that, don't have it. That's it. That, then, the, then the game is over in its own unique way. But the mythic dragons were also up there. Uh, all five of them could be pretty powerful. I don't know. The red one's probably the best, and the green one's probably the worst. But they're all pretty great. And then ranger class is up there. I want to shout out deck of many things too. That's a hidden role player. That one can be fantastic in long games and can also create that insurmountable card slash board advantage. Although I, I, I will say I've se- I saw probably the most insane play of all time with a deck of many things. I had lethal on board. My opponent had the deck of many things. They rolled it. And as they did this, I realized, wait a minute, they need to hit exactly a 20 on this. It was their last card in their hand. They played it out. They rolled it. I had like a hill giant herd gorger on board. They had nothing in there at like four. Funnily enough, I was also at four. They needed to hit exactly a 20 to get back a creature to make it at least a little difficult for me to do something. I had some ways of giving flying or something of going around. I could have still won from that, but they hit the 20. They brought back Red Dragon and domed me for lethal. It was nice. (laughs) I wasn't even upset about it. It was just so cool. Uh, Hitting the perfect 20 and having the perfect card in my graveyard. Just how do you how are you upset about that? It's so good. Uh, so deck of many things, even at its base uses of the other two modes, still very, very good. All right. So our Chaffee for most annoying card, what you got? Uh, for this one, I have two options. The first one is Yanti Malison. I still don't even know what the flavor of this card is. I guess it's a D&D thing. Like, is the thing a Yuan-Ti or is it a Malison? <laughs> what is this snake, dude? It's a, it's Yuan-Ti. Okay. Like, that's okay. The, the species of thing, basically. I guess they're snake dudes. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be like calling it a human malison. Like that's, that's okay. Okay, I guess I should look up what a malison is too. <laughs> so, you on team malison on turn two, just so annoying. Because first of all, it means your opponent is playing this unblockable thing that's going to keep beating you down, and you're probably going to lose to it unless you can answer it. Second of all, it means you're going to lose to a blue deck. So that, that's <laughs> kind of the <laughs> the extra sucker punch on top. Uh, but my 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 runner up for most annoying card. Meteor Swarm, because of the templating and the way it works in Arena, you will always see your opponent. They'll start their turn. They'll draw their card. They'll have like three red sources and a million other things. And you will see them one by one highlight your best card and then your second best card and then your third best card. And it takes like 30 seconds to click on them all and settle the damage. And you just know as it's happening, you're like, oh. I'm about to lose my whole board, aren't I? Yeah, it's a it's a fun card, but I agree. The templating was pretty confusing at, out of the gate, like when the set was released. I think a lot of mm. folks got a little bit confused about how that worked, but it's a great card. So <laughs> It is really good. I, I like casting it on my side. <laughs> I, I guess I can't complain too much. Goes around, comes around. Yeah, so for me, most annoying card is actually a card that I love to play and fits my playstyle very well, and that's Grazilax. It's like, what do you do with Grazilax facing you down on the other side of the board? You can't block anything because they just get to rebuy all their edited the battlefields triggers. And then if you mm-hmm. don't block anything, they draw cards. So it's like, what am I supposed to do here? Well enough, this is one that's not the best on turn three. That's when it can usually die as part of a scuffle or to a combat trick or to a kill spell that hasn't been used on something else yet. But top decking on Grazilax when you have some little flyers or something like that. Ugh. Oh, it's great. It's disgusting. Shuts down the race, gets you back in the game with card advantage. Yeah, fantastic, but very annoying to play against. Next up, we've got best jank, and I see we came to the same conclusion on this one. 
Oh yeah, Teleportation Circle all the way. One of the most amazing cards that I've seen in a limited set recently, just with all the random interactions it has. It turned Potion of Healing into like an actual card that you could arguably play, as mm. opposed to just being something you couldn't touch. And it allowed for some pretty ridiculous shenanigans. It also lets you claw back from games that you have no real reason to win. <laughs> it's just great overall, but it's like, you know, it's an enchantment that just like, why does this work, you know? Mm -hmm. In white green, it, it flickers like owl bears and priests. In red white, it as a LSV did on I believe on stream once, and as I actually got to pull off once myself, you can flicker earth cult elementals to stacks your opponent out, or flicker swarming goblins or any of those other things like that. I guess white black it had some stuff. You could flicker ETB venture type cards. Those weren't the worst. And you know, if you're playing white blue and this card was in your deck, it was probably the best card in your deck, and you were probably I don't know venturing. I I didn't like white blue that much even though i saw it put up some decently good numbers i don't, I don't even care white blue it, it was disappointing <laughs> but i do actually have one more best jank that's spare dagger a surprisingly good card in this format i found that there's often these little x1s running around when you get to spare dagger to kill your opponent's rust monster or like the little 2-1 death touch yeah that's a really good card and in, in the meantime it's a one drop equipment it equips for one and i have actually flung it in my opponent's face for exactly lethal before and it did matter because my creature was gonna get blocked so you can do some pretty nice little tricks with this putting it on a death toucher obviously great and just with all the little equipment synergies that red white wanted this is one that i was pretty happy to put one of in, in any deck that wanted equipment yeah it also hits planeswalkers for when that matters so yeah it's a pretty versatile card all right our chaffy award for the chaffiest chaff in afr for me, goes to, well, I've got two entries here. Wish is one of them, because what even is that card? And <laughs> yeah. and then I also just said blue. You know, just blue in general. The entire color is the most chaffiest chaff in this set, because <laughs> it was all just so garbage. But there were some cards that are very constructed playable, so it was weird yeah. in that blue was... It had a very, very high ceiling as far as power is concerned, but a really low floor. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, just not good. Although I will say I'm pretty proud of the limited community for I don't think I've ever seen one person cast wish against me. No one got fooled by that one. Yeah, you say that, but I literally was watching Marshall stream yesterday and he played an opponent in platinum that cast two of them. What? And and <laughs> and they wished for a mountain. <laughs> OK, that's actually pretty. Funny. They turned it into a rampant growth. Um, um, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Marshall just about had a heart attack on stream, and then it was one of those, like, well, if I lose this game, I have to stop playing Magic kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as for my chaffiest chaff, there were some of these cards. I found that there were a lot of playables in this set. You could usually find a home for things, and in recent sets, we've been seeing a trend that usually happens. A lot of the common creatures are playable. There's very rarely unplayable common creatures anymore. But uh, there were a few stinkers that I found in the mix. Great Axe, really only good if you have two Brunors or three Brunors or something. Devour Intellect, it looks a lot like Thoughtseize. It's not. Find the Path, I found disappointing. I didn't find any paths to victory with that card. And Secret Door, just, you never really want to pay that five mana. You usually have better things to do. Next up, we've got the most unexpected chaff. The cards that we were kind of the most surprised by, things that we initially thought would overperform or do pretty well, but uh, yeah, didn't really get there. And I see you're sticking to a theme on this one. Yeah, it really hurts me. But I mean, we both had the same theme here because both of the things we said fit this. For me, it was just blue. Like, I felt like the entire, outside of the rares and mythics, the entire color was unplayable. Mm. I never was happy to be picking blue cards. 
Yeah, what was the the three mana conjurer? I think was probably one of the best blue cards to have in your deck because it, it could help ramp you into better cards of your other color. So you could play like a turn four Albear or like a turn five Red Dragon or something. Sure, and there were others that were like kind of like you didn't feel terrible about playing, like Ginny Winseer. Yeah. But overall, if you were first picking a blue card and it wasn't Imrith, you're like, well, this is going to be a terrible draft, or I'm abandoning mm-hmm. blue as early as possible. And I honestly can't remember a set we've had. Like, we've, we've seen sets recently where, like, certain colors were more or less unplayable, but this is the first set in a long time that I can remember where an entire color was just something nobody wanted to touch. Yeah, this is about as bad as it gets. I don't know if it's quite to the level of green in in, uh, in old Zendikar, but, I don't know, people hated green. I, I still played it every once in a while. <laughs> in, like, the BFC era? Yeah, oh yeah, B- Battle for Zendikar, that is. Yeah. People would not touch green. Yeah with a 20-foot pole in that set, which hurt my heart as a as a diehard green mage. So I guess what goes around comes around again. Now to the blue players. I'm not crying any tears over this one. Yeah, it's funny, though, because, you know, normally when you're talking about draft, we, you know, we talk about it being self-correcting. And, you know, normally when a color is relatively unplayable, it's because there are very select cards in that color that are good. And then those are reasons to be in it. But if you don't have them, you shouldn't, You like, there really is no other reason to be in the color. And so a lot of times people will not take those reasons to be in the color because they're hard to be in anyway. And if you see them too late, you won't get them. So that means that the one person who wants to be in that color gets an amazing deck and it actually works because it's like the epitome of what that deck can be. Green and BFZ was literally no matter how many cards you got in green, you didn't want to touch it. And this is pretty yeah. close to that. Like I said, outside of, you know, the few mythics and rares that are like really good, like Grazlax, like Imrith things like that. You really just don't want to be playing blue. Even the the black blue deck that seemed like it was going to be really cool or the red blue deck that seemed like it was going to be really cool were just decks you did not want to be in. Mhm. I have Wizard's Spellbook as my top most unexpected chaff. This card could be very powerful, but it just wasn't really the kind of thing you wanted to be doing too much. I also put the blue classes. I think these ones are actually probably tied for first place over the wizard spellbook now that i think of it monk class rogue class and sorcerer class i think sorcerer class is the the biggest junker of all but monk and rogue i did see do occasionally some work they could draw you cards in the mid to late game if you set things up right and your opponent was very kind to you and (laughs) gave you all the time in the world that you needed to make them work Uh, they they could be powerful but i guess they might have been a little bit win more and that amount of win more wasn't that big Yeah, they each had their own their own sort of problems, right? Monk class was a rather strong card in a rather weak deck. It wasn't a deck anybody really wanted to play. Rogue class was pretty decent in the good rogue decks or the good black blue decks, but those didn't come together very often. And then sorcerer class had nothing to do with the red blue deck, so it was like, when are you supposed to play this? And the answer is pretty much never. Why couldn't they have just made a really good blue red dice rolling class? It could have been awesome. It could have been like the better barbarian class. Anyway, let's chat about our top drafted commons. When we were looking to put these things together, you know, we usually try to go through our 17 lands data and figure out based on the data what the answers to some of these are. And we realized there's a huge discrepancy between the amount of drafts Ben has done in this format and the amount of drafts I've done in this format. I think I'm sitting pretty at about nine drafts for this format. Uh, I had what, 78, I think. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah it was up there. To be fair, I grinded pretty hard for uh, Mythic twice in, in this season. First to try to get it by that first cutoff date, and then again to actually get it. So I, I did quite a bit of quick drafting as well in researching for some articles and our show and also just farming red black <laughs> for gold and gems and glory. Well, speaking of glory and farming red black decks, my most drafted card was Price of Loyalty. 
with mm. only 10 copies, which isn't actually that much when you consider how many you could get in the quick draft format. But, yeah, you know, given that I only did nine drafts, I think that's that's a decent amount. Yours is probably pretty close to that, right? Like your, your top card was probably only about, you know, a dozen or so. I don't know if there's enough cards in the set for me to have, uh, <laughs> have gotten any of them that few times. Probably even the, the cards that I've taken the least in the set. Actually, no, that's a lie. There are a few I haven't taken at all. But my top drafted common, I'm actually pretty proud of this one. Hoarding Ogre. I love Hoarding Ogre. Awesome card. Very good. Gives you treasures. Gives you tokens if you need them to sack to like a rust monster or something. It's fun. Helps you fix your mana. I have cast many a double pipped off-color card thanks to the Hoarding Ogre here. 59 copies is, is my draft. And I'm pretty proud of the rest of my list too. I've got, let's see, Plundering Barbarian is my second one. Then Unexpected Windfall, Price of Loyalty, Hobgoblin Captain, Dragon's Fire, Swarming Goblins. Kind of liked red in this format. <laughs> yeah, uh, so did everybody. Yeah. Next up, we've got the worst bad card to lose to. This is kindly on loan from Limited Resources after it was booted from their Sunset show. Uh, we've given this question a good home on, on our uh, format farewell. So what was the worst bad card to lose to? Oh, Minion of the Mighty, hands down. I've seen people actually make that card work, and it feels terrible because it shouldn't do anything. You know, that's one achievement that I don't think I got in this format. <laughs> I don't think I actually got a pack tactics trigger off Minion of the Mighty. That's not over yet. Maybe I'll try to force it. There you go. Mine is Devoted Paladin. And to be fair, Devoted Paladin isn't actually the worst card ever. But I just found it too clunky as a five drop. Sometimes you'd have like one or two creatures on board and the pump would do nothing. However, in certain matchups, it was incredible. Like if you had played a Swarming Goblins or two and you just happened to have a few extra creatures laying around from the early turns that never got traded off or removed, you'd play this thing, your whole team would get Vigilance and it would just be a disgusting mess. I've gotten blown out by this card. Like the fact that it gives Vigilance too, it makes racing really tough. It can throw off your math. I just found this one to be pretty annoying whenever my opponents cast it. But I guess it's not the worst bad card, but just losing to it just feels super bad. All right, next up is the Chaffee for our pet cards. I already mentioned this one, but Tiger Tribe Hunter. I can't get enough of this card. It's so much fun. And uh, I think this is one of the biggest disparities between how much I thought I'd like a card and how much I actually liked it. In, in our initial show, I wasn't even sure if this card was playable. But now I, I have seen the light. I'm part of the Tiger Tribe now. There you go. There you go. Yeah, this is a card that you were not very happy about in the format breakdown, but you've turned around. My pet card here is Reaper's Talisman. I played two of these in Sealed in the pre-release, and I was hooked immediately. This is just such a fun card. The design around it is great. It kind of, you know, it incentivizes you to do this sort of Voltron-y type thing, but then it lets you hit the opponent even if they're blocking, and then it does the death touch thing, and I just love everything about this card. It's relatively cheap to equip and cast and all that stuff, so yeah, Reaper's Talisman, hands down. You know what? It's actually pretty similar to Finn the Fangbearer from the previous set. When I see Finn hit the board, I think, all right, that thing can get in five times and then I have to deal with it. And then the problem is over because poison isn't really affecting your actual life total and he's just hitting for one. However, with Reaper's Talisman, when I see that thing hit the board, the way I think about it is, all right, my opponent has to attack me 10 times with a creature equipped with Talisman and then I die. Like barring life gain or, or other incidental things like that. So <laughs> I've I, I've seen some people make some pretty wild plays just to get the Reaper's Talisman through. And it always works. It, the fact that it gains them life, it buys them time. Really solid card. That's the disparity, right? Is that while Finn was doing the thing with, you know, poison counters and whatever, the Reaper's Talisman is doing a four point life swing every time because it's gaining me two life while I'm draining you for two. And so mm. 
it hits for like, you know, maybe two or three times. And then you're like, wait a second, they're sitting at almost 30. And now I'm at like 14 or whatever. And I'm like, wait a second, this is going to be, this is going to be an uphill battle from here. And and then you kill the thing and it's like, okay, cool. You killed my hawk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll just, yeah. I'll just, yeah. Uh, you know, equip it to something else and keep smashing. This is, I think, probably the best equipment in the set. It's up there. I don't know. Dancing Sword is pretty great, too. And I guess if you count, what's the tongue? Frost Tongue? Oh, sure. Yeah, (laughs) the Icing Death. uh... But uh, this is one of the ones where if you happen to have enough barbarians in your deck to blow this thing up, just take it every single time. This is one where you really have to remove the equipment rather than the creature, or you're just going to lose to it. Yeah, because really any any creature is going to be enough to kind of pseudo stabilize if you already have the talisman out. A lot of times, yep. you know, when an opponent loses all their creatures and they top deck one, it's like, well, I don't really care at this point they're losing. But because of the life gain, sometimes that's that's enough for the talisman to kind of bring you back into it. Next up, we've got our most disappointing archetype. Yeah, <laughs> this probably is not going to be a big shocker. But we were pretty down on blue in this format. Yeah, basically all the blue stuff. Most specifically for me, it was the dice deck because I was really hoping, you know, I'm, I love the chaos decks. I was really hoping that was going to be super playable and just a lot of fun. And it was occasionally very fun, but almost not playable at all and wasn't even always very fun. So, yeah, I would have been okay with it being extremely fun to play every time you played it, even if it didn't do that well, but it just wasn't. Like, a lot of times it didn't do well and it wasn't fun because it wasn't doing the thing it was supposed to do, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then Blue-Black is also pretty disappointing. I think they had a really cool sub-theme for Blue-Black here with the Saboteur stuff, and then it just didn't work. Right. I think Blue did occasionally have its place. Like, you could win games with Blue decks. Sure. Did I want to? Not particularly. Did I avoid it like the plague? Yes. But I was most disappointed in Blue-Red and Blue-Green. I, I never really liked the, the Blue-Black Rogues thing. I, I just have a personal aversion to Rogues and little combat damage triggers and ugh. Ugh, get it out of here. But uh, I much prefer going big with, like, Blue-Green Ramp. Gretchen Titchwillow, our, our little... uh. Hobbit looking friend, just not particularly good. It could block occasionally, but if it just died to a trick, it's like, all right, my card draw thing is gone. My stabilizer is gone. Now what am I doing? Like playing Scions of Stygia and Owlbears. I found blue green to have pretty much zero removal because the good green decks would just take the removal and blue just had abysmal removal in this set. I think there was a spell. I couldn't even tell you what it was called. <laughs> it's the it's the one of the blue target creature gets minus two minus O until end of turn. Draw a card. Shocking grasp. Yeah, I feel like that might have been intended to be similar to a removal spell. If like blue's creatures were starting to get into combat, which in this format they could. Jenny wins here, for example. That's a beefy flyer. However, I just don't think the cards lined up very well for blue to make good use of it. Think of some of these other cards. We've got like zero fours and zero fives and things like that. Oh, oh well. Uh, and then, of course, blue red dice. Just it got there sometimes if you had a million Faradays and some cool payoffs and that kind of thing. But it was very few and far between when you could actually get that to work properly. Next up, one of my favorite Chaffee Awards, the creature you most want as a pet. Yep. This one was easy. Purple Worm. Oh, God. I have been really excited for Dune to come out, the new Dune movie, <laughs> as, a, as a Dune fan. I can see myself riding atop a Purple Worm, you know, like Lord of Arrakis style. Plus, like, worm riding, it's a pretty cool skill. You got to use these hooks, and you got to, like, turn them properly and pull the plates up. And uh, Dune readers out there will we'll, we'll know what's going on. Anyway, <laughs> that's kind of a joke. I'd probably just take a dragon. 
I thought I would take a dragon too, but when I put some thought into it, here's the thing. All the dragons in D&D are extremely intelligent, so keeping them as a pet probably isn't something you'd be able to do because they're no. much smarter than you and they're much more powerful than you. So if they wanted to leave, they'd just do it. Also, yeah, the chromatic dragons, the colored ones, are evil by nature, so they would just eat you and be done with it. Right. And and then all of the good dragons, the metallic ones, are off like fighting crime and they're also far more intelligent and powerful than anything that we could hope to be so they're not going to stay your pet you say they're fighting crime as if they're superheroes like <laughs> i don't know i mean the gold dragons like literally devote themselves to destroying evil so they're just out there like hey you littered time to die you know <laughs> time to be smoked i think i'll cast a dominate monster on go. inferno of the star mounts and then i can have a really like really cool name the dragon as a pet that, that works, right? I'm no D&D expert. But. Uh, to be honest, I don't, I'm not sure if dragons count as monsters in D&D. But it would be cool to be like, hey, that's a cool pet over there. Like, what's it called? And you're like, oh, that's just Inferno the Star Mounts. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever get a pet of some sort, I'm, I'm still considering getting a cat at some point. I'm totally probably not going to officially name my cat Inferno of the Star Mounts. But that is such a like killer name. <laughs> to be like, hey, Inferno of the Star Mounts, dinner's ready. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, I was this was a toss up. I originally thought Albear, but then was reminded that Loyal Warhound is in this set. And like, how do you not pick mm. Loyal Warhound as like the pet you'd most want? He's literally loyal, and he'll fight for you. Like, what yeah. else do you want? Yeah, that's true. That's pretty great. Next up, we've got cards never cast. No, it looks like we've both got a few here. We noticed that our 17 lands data was a, a little off for this one, I think, uh, with all the changeover and stuff like that. Some stuff might have gotten mixed up a tad. So we just went off memory for this. I can personally say I've never cast Tasha's Hideous Laughter, and I'm proud of it. There you go. Yeah, I've also never cast Tasha's Hideous Laughter, Oswald Fiddlebender, or the Book of Exalted Deeds. Actually, neither of the books have I cast. Uh, I cast a single Oswald. I, I actually got a pretty sweet build around deck with it. It was really janky. I got to do the thing, though. I, I think I got to you know, use the birthing pod effect a few times, but usually it was just a two mana two two. I didn't ever actually got to cast a Severac or Mordenkainen. F for all the times I drafted the set, I never had access to those, which is kind of surprising. I, I just got RNG'd on this one, I think. I usually get to cast every Mythic by the end of the set. And then uh, Instrument of the Bards, never really interested in that one. <laughs> Although it's pretty fun and on, on flavor for me. A song type thing that can grab green creatures that tutors. Looks like it should be good, but just a little too much mana. Yeah, I opened that. I think that was my pre-release promo. And uh, mm. it's still in the wrapping, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and there it will stay. Last but not least, we're back to our favorite question, the broken glass question. So for those that don't know, at the end of every format farewell, we have a question that pertains to broken glass. I don't really know if there's much more explanation than that. <laughs> well, typically, and we argued about this, I think, the last time we, we talked about this, but typically it's a, would you rather eat broken glass or keep doing this thing that was in the set or just keep drafting the set or whatever? We change it up pretty much every time, but it's like a would you rather kind of thing. So mm -hmm. so in this case, uh, would you rather draft blue-red dice rolling X number of times where X is equal to 1d20, or eat broken glass. And th th that's draft that deck that many times in a row. So I'm saying you roll d20 and then whatever it lands on, you have to draft AFR that many times and force blue red every single time. But you have to pick you have to pick the draft or glass prior to knowing what that die roll is. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Glass, please. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I wrote it in my thing here. I'll take my glass with, with some like red pepper flakes or a little seasoning or, or sauce on the side because <laughs> no way no no thank you 
like I love that deck when it works, but given that I have to actually sit down and draft it, I'm not being handed like the perfect version of the deck, and that could roll on anything that's like three and up, basically, and I would not be happy with that situation, so... You know, out yeah. of curiosity, I've got a D20 here. I'm just going to give it a quick roll and see how this would have gone for me. 14. Yikes, Yikes. I think I made a good choice with the glass. <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right, so this isn't really a real, like a real Chaffee award, but we just wanted to highlight some of our last thoughts on the format as we round out this format farewell. So for me, it was overall pretty cool. I think the flavor was mostly on point, and it was really awesome. It just felt really good to be in the Forgotten Realms setting for a bit. Unfortunately, the actual draft format for me got stale pretty quickly, and I ended up running less than a dozen drafts. As I mentioned, I think I did nine, with no real desire to do any more than that. And I don't think, like, if this comes back in a flashback-style draft, like... At the end of August, we got Flashback Kaladesh remastered and Amonkhet remastered and Ikoria. We were all super excited about it. I was intimidated by Ikoria because I hadn't drafted it before, but I was still pretty excited. I was really excited to get back into those formats. If this comes back in a flashback, I'm probably just skipping it. Like, I have zero desire to draft any more of this set. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that those those drafts, those are like gourmet. Something like Ikoria, that is a five-star meal right there. This is like White Castle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is like a... Uh, I, I would not really go out of my way for this. If it was presented in front of me with like a free draft, I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do this. But I'm not particularly excited to to get back into AFR anytime in the future. As far as flavor, though, awesome. Well done. I think they really nailed a ton of cool flavor stuff. This set had a few quirks. I think it was a little more princey than we're used to. I think the Mythic Dragons kind of added to that and stuff like Westgate Regent and also a, a few other cards here and there. Honestly, even the Uncommon Dragons just... A 4-4 or a 5-5 flyer could really just take over the game, and if it can't be removed, the game would probably end because of it. So there was that going for it, which tends to make me less interested in a format. I really like common dominated formats. And then the sad state of blue, of course. Overall, I'd probably give this like a 5 or a 6 out of 10. Maybe I'll draft it again, but um, I'm not going to go out of my way for it. All right, so we forgot to do this the last two sets. Uh, actually, no, sorry, we forgot to do this last set. We did do it the set before that. But we like to also take our Format Farewell episodes to give a little bit of time to talk about what we're excited for in the next set. So we are looking forward to Innistrad Midnight Hunt. And so, Ben, what are you looking forward to in Midnight Hunt? Right, so first of all, we're going back to Innistrad, which is my personal favorite plane. You got the Gitrog monster. You've got all sorts of nonsense spirits and zombies and werewolves and maybe i think we're done with eldrazi for now probably not going to see any of them for a while but you have this really cool flavorful gothic high horror and you've got this influence of like moon silver and uh, all this cool extra lore the cathars that kind of patrol around and inquisitors slaying zombies and werewolves i'd love everything about the flavor of the set it's super cool as someone who also is a big fan of fall personally my favorite season i love everything pumpkin related everything that's like apple cider related all those are my favorite things and this set we've seen pumpkins in this set or it looks like pumpkin tangential <laughs> whatever the magic version of a, a pumpkin is although actually i take that back we had turned into a pumpkin on eldrin so pumpkins are canon in magic lore i assume that means someone could make me a good like pumpkin spice latte on <laughs> I don't know, the, some, some street in Ravnica, but I'm excited for all that stuff. And then I'm excited for the stuff that Morrow was teasing. Uh, I think we all kind of got a chance to look over those teasers, right? I definitely did look through them, yeah. Yeah, so we saw that some things are coming back. We know Transform's coming back. We know that Flashback is back. We got a few spoiler cards already. 
Now, there are some leaks. Maybe we can wait a little bit to talk about them so people can skip it at the very end, but we'll talk about that a little later. Apparently, we're getting a an Innistrad reprint or maybe a few reprints. Yeah, Mero said that there is guaranteed at least one card that was tournament, like basically a competitive card. It was tournament playable from original Innistrad. Not like just from the plane, but from the original set called Innistrad. And that's pretty exciting. There are a whole slew of things that could be. I've seen a lot of people hope that it's uh, Snapcaster Mage because they have confirmed Flashback is coming back. So maybe it could be Snapcaster and Snapcaster hasn't had a reprint, I think, ever. Maybe in one of the Masters sets? It's not very Maybe. often. And then you've got some other cool stuff in here. I love the the parts where he, he takes quotations from the cards because those are always cool little things to see. Here are a few of my favorites. At the beginning of your end step, if you have exactly 13 life, dot, dot, dot. So we got some like Triskai Decophobia stuff. Now, the one that was spoiled already, the blue one, like the hand collector, Triskai Decophile. I don't think that one has this wording. I thought that one triggers on upkeep, right? Yeah. So we're getting two 13 flavored cards. That's exciting. It looks like there's going to be slime because there's a slime counter thing. Well, there are oozes too. There's a legendary ooze that he he mentioned is coming. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and zombies look to get some tribal synergy stuff. There's a quote here. Put that many plus one plus one counters on card name. Then create twice that many two two black zombie creature tokens. That sounds like it pumps out tokens pretty fast and effectively. Who knows what that could be. I'm also excited for the character from an Innistrad once mentioned in a short story, finally getting a card. I don't know who that could be. I think um, there's a famous, I'm trying to remember who it was, a storyteller on Innistrad that's never gotten a card. I'm trying to think of the name of the person. But that they were a common player in a lot of the previous stories. They'd be the one that would be like the, the kind of the town wise person, if that makes sense. Uh, I think we already got cards from the two trappers though, right? They were in Commander Legends? Correct, yes. What are the names? It's like Hannah and Shanna or something. <laughs> Something like that. One of them is Hannah. I can't remember the other's name. Yeah, whatever. Their cards were disappointing. I'm hoping to get a better version of them in this set. How about you? What's uh, exciting for you? Well, you know, I agree with you. I am one of those fall people. Like, autumn is my favorite season. The weather is always the best as far as the Northeast is concerned. Like, autumn weather is fantastic. I love Mm -hmm. the colors changing, even though I probably don't see them correctly. And... The flavor palettes, the smells, just everything about Autumn is fantastic. And I'm really excited. Honestly, Innistrad has been, even though we haven't been back to it in a while, it's been slowly creeping up my list of favorite planes. I think it's at least in my top three. It might be my favorite plane now. Uh, it used to be mm. Ravnica, but I've been getting bored with Ravnica. It's it's a little stale for me. So I, mm. I'm actually quite into, and I, I've been liking the gothic horror sort of subgenre a lot lately so i'm all about it i love seeing that run in seven got printed because we were just talking about that like not so long ago in a sign off and really really cool to see that happen would love to get some story around ren a little bit more in in this set and to kind of explore what's going on with the day night cycle because apparently that's all Mm. out of whack i'm very excited for our flavor town episode on this set it's gonna be fantastic Cannot wait. But I also want to know what what uh, our best friend Emra cools up to. Good old Emra yeah. sitting in the moon. She's got to be doing something. Like, this is her fault, right? The whole day-night cycle thing is probably related to her in some way. I mean, she is the moon now, so uh, it's got to be something with that. And also, we haven't really checked in with Soren in a while or some of our other friends, Thalia. I guess Sigarda is also still flying around doing all sorts of stuff. Her sister's didn't fare so well but it sounds like the angels were mostly wiped out maybe there's still some good ones floating around yeah i think all of sigarda's angels are still around or most of them i'm sure some of them died but 
Yeah, it's true. In the revealed creature types, we didn't actually see any angel stuff, but there's some interesting ones in there. There's a demon dog. Plant horror sounds kind of fun. The one I'm personally excited for is dragon egg. Because Innistrad dragons, when you think Innistrad, you tend to not think dragon. But the Innistrad dragons have a really unique design to them. They're these really sleek, like slender, almost nimble, almost like dragonfly looking dragons. I think Balefire dragon is one. Moonvale dragon. There's another one too from the most recent set that I cannot remember. But they look really cool. And they're usually mythic and they're usually pretty powerful. So I'm excited to see what's, uh, what's up with this little egg. See if it hashes into something fun. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I I really hadn't paid any attention to the Innistrad dragon designs. I honestly, if you had told me there weren't any dragons on Innistrad, I would have believed you. But <laughs> yeah. I just looked up Balefire Dragon, and yeah, it, it, you're right. It's like kind of skeletal almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're super sweet. All right. Well, that does it for us this week. Lots coming up with Midnight Hunt and then, of course, Crimson Val, which we'll get to after a bit. I think we're going to have a shorter turnaround time between like format breakdown and format farewell for these two sets because they do come out quite close to each other. But very looking forward to that. It's going to be really exciting to stay up to date on all that stuff and to talk with all of us in the draft chaff community, the traficionados, as it were, definitely jump into the discord. You can find the link to that in the episode description, as well as on our Twitter page. And if you want to support the show directly, check out the Patreon. As we mentioned, we've got all of those new things coming with the uh, draft doctor videos, as well as like a dedicated channel in the discord to talking about drafts with us specifically. The main reason for that is we don't always have the time to give our two cents on drafts in the more general channels. And so this is sort of us making the claim that we are, we're going to answer those for sure that are in the uh, in that uh, draft doctor channel doesn't mean we won't answer any outside of that channel we'll still be as active as we have been but we don't always get to everybody so uh, draft doctor channels for that again check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod if you're into that if you want to find us outside of the discord the best place to do so is on twitter you can find me at rannick alfredian you can find ben at betafish one and you can find the podcast directly at draft chaff pod thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week see ya so before we go uh, my girlfriend and I have been watching the Lord of the Rings. Okay. And honestly, it just got me way more excited about the Lord of the Rings crossover that we're going to be getting. Apparently two of them, uh, we're going to be getting a secret layer and we're going to be getting a full set, which I think there's commander decks as well. And commander decks. Oh my God. Those are going to be sweet. So I've been, uh, really enjoying them. I love these movies just 100%. I think they're fantastic. Super well-made. Uh, the whole trilogy. We've been watching the extended edition uh, because, you know, got to get the fullest experience. And I've been trying to think like, well, especially given just we just had MTG D&D, which there's a lot of crossover, a lot of high fantasy stuff drawn from uh, from Lord of the Rings and the original work in, in modern D&D and in modern magic. So I was trying to think, what are these people going to look like as cards? Like what's I mean, some of them are easy. I was trying to think like, the one that came to my head as I was watching, Legolas is just the easiest ranger, or uh, not, I, I guess, ranger, or like, uh, sorry, archer. Legolas is the easiest archer, uh, just going to be some kind of archer, going to have, definitely is going to have reach, and going to have some ability to snipe things, because he just never misses. Yeah, you've um, got to have something with, like, the whole, like, what do your elf eyes see type aspect, yeah. like... I also think, you know, I was surprised, because I think Varys from AFR was a very close approximation to Legolas without calling him Legolas. Like, mm. I don't know, something, maybe it was just the art and the name that kind of made me feel like it was High Elf, sort of yeah, very Legolas-y. 
I don't know if I, you know, on, on thinking about it now, I don't know if I would say the effects were necessarily very legacy, but like, I mean, it, it, what it made creatures and adventured and stuff. So yeah, I guess not, not quite legacy, but yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with you. It's going to be very ranger based or archery based. Mm-hmm. And then the question is what colors are they all going to be? I'm very interested to see how that works out. Like we're definitely going to have some some sort of representation of Sauron, whether it's an eye or like his original form. Might get uh, both. Maybe both, yeah. Uh, Saruman, pretty easy mono black card there, I think. There's going to be a lot of the orcs and uh, the Urukai and all, all sorts of stuff. Probably red, black. Those are easy. Maybe get some nice Ents uh, as mono green cards. Now I'm wondering about some of the other main characters, though. Gimli's probably mono red. I could see Maybe yeah, red, either white. mono red or potentially red white, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which plays into uh, like most of MTG's dwarves anyway. Like a lot of MTG's dwarves fit into those colors. Yeah, that's true. I think pretty much all the hobbits are mono white. Uh, although I could see green white potentially too. In the past, Kithkin, which were kind of drawn after the hobbits, uh, back from Lorwyn plane, uh, a lot of them are white. There might be some blue ones too, maybe. Yeah, I don't. I all the ones I can think of are white. Yeah, so I have a feeling hobbits, as their you know representations of pure and good, they're going to be pretty white. Gandalf is a tough one though, because it depends on which version of Gandalf they go with. If they, Uh I wouldn't be surprised if they printed as an MDFC where you have Gandalf the gray on one side and Gandalf the white on the other, because that would be dope, right? Like, or or something like Gandalf the gray that says like when this creature dies, return it to the battlefield as Gandalf the white. Oh, so sick. Like how cool yeah. would that be? Now, if it's a, a typical MDFC with like two different casting costs on either side, um, I guess like think the Kaldheim gods. I'm thinking Gandalf the Grey. I don't know. Green? Green, white? And then uh, his other side, Gandalf the White, would just be mono white? Or maybe even like, I know it's Gandalf the White, but I could see white black. He, he has more of a... Um, like a pious ethereal element to him that I, I could see with that. And he's a little less tethered to the, the mortal realm, if you will. I guess, I guess you're right. Um, for some reason, like I kind of feel like he has to have blue in his color identity, just hmm. being a wizard and like having those sorts of the knowledge thing that he does. Like he's not the most blue character ever. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I would, I look at him and think immediately blue, but just because of his, casting type as far as lord of the rings is concerned like if he's not blue i can't i'm I'm having a hard time thinking of what is blue i guess a bunch of the spirits but even them feel they feel a lot more black white to me than than uh like like the army that aragorn yeah takes over they they feel a lot more black white to me aragorn's Hmm. a tough one i don't think i can pinpoint aragorn's colors i feel like it's got to have white but yeah that's tough one and then I could see hmm. Legolas being uh, green-white as well, as opposed yeah. to mono-green. Wow, Aragorn is tough. So I think, back to Gandalf real quick, I could even see him being five-color, just like Interesting. pure Wooberg. Um, as for Aragorn, I don't know. Definitely white, but you know when they printed, uh, who was it? The, the one commander from uh, Commander Legends, who was Naya. Oh, he had, you, he had yeah, you were Ar- saying Carthalian, uh, was it? Yeah, Carthalian, yeah. He had big Aragorn vibes. I could maybe see Aragorn as Naya, because then you have some of like the good nature and also strength 
but also a bit of a fire that he's definitely got. I can see Naya, maybe. Yeah, that's intriguing. I, I could see that, too. I was actually just thinking Gandalf would be good as Bant as well. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't, oh see, yeah, I I don't see a whole lot of uh, red in, in Gandalf, personally. But I think Bant fits pretty well. What characters are blue, then? Right? Like, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's <laughs> obvious. But they're going to have to have some. Gollum's probably blue-black. No. Yeah. Is, he, is he just mono-black? He's probably just mono-black. But he's so conflicted. He, that his whole inner is turmoil he actually, is... though? Yeah, I mean, the, he I mean, is. He is, but... All right. Hmm. Uh, on one side, yeah, Smeagol. On one side, Gollum. That'd be sick. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, and, and the cards are like mirrors of each other. Like, they do almost the same thing, but uh, one just, costs... And the art like, is like... Um, glass pool mimic or, or uh Illyrios rather where he's like looking in the yeah pool. yeah yeah oh my god all right wizards call us up <laughs> we've got some <laughs> banger ideas for you i really like if they don't do the gandalf thing where like he starts as gandalf the gray and if he dies he comes back as gandalf the white i'm gonna be really upset because i love that idea they will they will <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>